0: Welcome to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. Jesus was a master storyteller, and He constantly used short stories or parables to communicate spiritual truths to the crowds that gathered to hear Him. By telling parables, the secrets of the kingdom would be revealed to Jesus' disciples, but they would be hidden from His opponents. Listen to this talk from the parable series as we dive into some of Jesus' most memorable stories. Well, good morning. Uh, This morning, uh, the the ones who were baptized this morning were younger and now we get a little bit older, group 71. And it just demonstrates that God is working in people's lives regardless of where you are in terms of your age and your journey. Uh, Last month my wife and I celebrated our 35th wedding anniversary and it got me thinking about our wedding day and our honeymoon and, and the 35 years that we've been on a journey with one another. And while I was thinking through all of this, I came across a photo that was taken on my wedding day of my groomsmen, so here's a picture of the guys that were in my wedding party. I'm the one in the center, if you don't recognize me, I have some hair there and my handsome twin brother is to my right. (laughs) But as I was looking at this photo and thinking about even what I'm going to be talking about here today, the the parable we're going to be looking at, um, it occurred to me as I looked at this photo that if you take my twin brother out of the picture, Of the groomsmen that are left, at least three quarters of them did not have a relationship with Jesus Christ before I met them. I had, by the grace of God, the privilege of sharing the gospel with most of these guys and they responded to the message and they put their faith in Jesus Christ and their lives were changed. A few weeks ago I got a call from the guy on the far left. I haven't heard from him in decades. He was calling to say, listen, I got your number from so-and-so who's also in this picture. And he said, I'm calling you because this is the 40th anniversary of my spiritual birthday. When you shared the gospel with me on that day, I began a relationship with God. And I thought, wow, you kept track of that exact date. And for 40 years, he's calling me on the exact date to say my life was changed back then and it's still true today. He's someone that's now um, got a, a great profession, but in addition to his regular career, he's also an assistant pastor and associate pastor of a church in the Columbus area. Now, I'm mentioning all this again because of the parable we're going to look at here today. I love the fact that when people put their faith in Christ, that their lives are changed forever. Like our message, this gospel message is so wonderful because if people respond to it, it changes them for all eternity. I mean, what other message or conversation could anyone have that would have such an impact, that it would change their lives forever? And they became then my eternal friends. They became children of God at that point. And when I think of that, I'm amazed as well. Because I think of this idea that the creator of the heavens and the earth, the God who made all things desires that people be part of his family forever. I want you to be my sons. I want you to be my daughters. And he invites us into that. And it's remarkable. He's God. We're not. And yet we're invited to be part of this family. John talked about this in his gospel. In the very first chapter of the gospel that bears his name, he said these words. He, referring to Jesus, was in the world. And the world was created through him, through Jesus, Yet the world did not recognize him. The Greek word there means no. It just didn't know deeply who he was. He came to his own, specifically a reference to the Jewish nation, and his own people did not receive him. So he presents himself before those of his family line, and they they do not receive him. But some did. In the next verse we read, but to all who did receive him, he gave the right or the privilege to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. That's how we get this. Who are born not of blood or of the will of flesh or of the will of man, but of God. He's just making the point this I'm not talking about a physical birth here. I'm talking about a spiritual birth that takes place. You become a child of God if you're one who's in the second category, not one who ignored Him, but one who received Him. And lives are changed forever. Now, the parable we're going to look at here today shows the very heart of God to reach people because I'm convinced it is on God's heart that people join Him and be part of his eternal family. And this parable illustrates that. It's found in Matthew 22. We're going to read verses 1 through 14. Matthew 22, we're going to begin in verse 1, where we read, Once more Jesus told them in parables, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent out his slaves to summon those invited to the banquet, but they didn't want to come. Again, he sent out other slaves and said, "'Tell those who are invited, look, i prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened calf have been slaughtered, and everything's ready. Come to the wedding banquet.' But they paid no attention and went away, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the others seized his slaves, treated them outrageously, and killed them. The king was enraged, so he sent out his troops, destroying those murderers, and burned down their city.' Then he told the slaves, the banquet is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go to where the roads exit the city and invite everyone you find to the banquet. So those slaves went out on the roads and gathered everyone they found, both evil and good. The wedding banquet was filled with guests. But when the king came in to view the guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed for a wedding. He said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told his attendants, tie him up hand and foot, throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are invited, but few are chosen. Now there's a lot to this story. There are lots of twists and turns. It's got certain surprise elements. And in order to talk about it, I think, well, I think I need to do it through the characters that are mentioned here. There are, there are four groups of people or characters that are less mentioned in this story. And as we're looking at the different groups, I want to encourage you to ask yourself, where are you in this story? Those four groups or those characters are, first of all, there's a king, and, and implied is he's got a son, but there's a king. Uh, second, there are the guests that are invited and re-invited. Third, there are the servants or slaves who are sent out to extend the invitation. Now, in biblical times, uh, slavery was very common. Jesus isn't endorsing slavery here. He's just using what was true of the culture to communicate a message here. But these servants were sent out. And then finally, uh, there's one guest who's not dressed properly gone to a wedding, but he doesn't have the right clothes. And you say, well, what's that about? And why, why is some of this? So let's talk about these different groups. My takeaway, though, is this. What will you do with God's invitation? And that question applies to everybody, regardless of where you are spiritually. Uh, for some of you, what will you do with God's invitation is, you need to say yes to it. For some of you, though, we have an opportunity to extend the invitation to other people. So what will you do with the invitation? you know, in terms of talking with other people about Christ. So let's talk about the different groups. First of all, we have the king. And in Jesus' day, if a parable or story was told by a teacher and it had a king as, as one of the main characters, almost 100% of the time it's a representation of God. There's no doubt Jesus' Jewish audience would have recognized, though, this is talking about God. But something else we learned about this king that's kind of interesting is that he does have... A son. This is a, a king who has a son who's going to have this wedding feast. Now, that's a really significant detail to the story because I want you to realize that what Jesus was claiming in this story is that he's, he was the, the son of God, not a son of God. He was claiming to be the son of God, the one and only son of God who's going to have this marriage feast, which I'll talk about in a little bit here. I think everybody alive today and in Jesus' day, we all have to answer the question, what do we think about this Jesus? Who was he? And, And some people think he was just a great teacher, you know, follow the teachings of Jesus. Some think he was a miracle worker, you know. Some people put him in the category of prophet. Jesus even asked his disciples, who do you think I am? But Jesus claimed, make no mistake about it, Jesus claimed he was the Son of God. Even the the most famous verse in the Bible makes that clear. God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him. And being the Son of God means you're God the Son. It it is by implication, it has to be. If you're the Son of God, you are God the Son. And so that's why we believe in a Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But he, he was the Son of God. Now he's going to have this marriage banquet, the king is, and understand that in the Jewish mindset at the time of Christ, they believed, correctly so, that when the Messiah came back to rule on this earth, that there was going to be this great banquet and people were going to be invited to it. And so when he began to talk about this wedding banquet, they'd be nodding their heads, yes, And so this son is going to have a wedding banquet. Now realize again what Jesus is saying. By implication, he's saying, I'm the Messiah. He's claiming to be the son of God. He's claiming to be the Messiah. Again, it raises the question, what do we do with him? But what else do we learn about the king from this story? Well, we know that he went through a great deal of effort to invite people to come. And I'm telling you, that's the very heart of God, that people enter into a relationship with him. That is God's very heart. Look at verses 3 and 4 again. It says, he sent out his slaves to summon those invited to the banquet, but they didn't want to come. Again, he sent out other slaves and said, tell those who are invited, look, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and fat and calf have been slaughtered and everything's ready, come come to the wedding banquet. And then in verses 9 and 10 where we read that uh, not enough show, were showing up, we read, therefore go, he's saying to his servants, therefore go to the roads that exit the city and invite everyone you find to the banquet. So those slaves went out on the roads and gathered everyone they found, both evil and good, because this invitation is not for good people for evil and good. It's for everybody, really. So invite them all. And the wedding banquet was filled with guests. Now, I believe that if someone does not make it to the kingdom of heaven, if they don't make it to heaven, it's not because God doesn't desire it or that there's been a lack of effort on God's part. My word, he sent his own son to make this possible. It's God's heart that everyone find Christ. Everyone be part of this banquet ceremony. Paul wrote about this in First Timothy 2, 3, and 4. He wrote, God our Savior, and this is a reference to God the Father now, but he's called Savior in this context. God our Savior wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, there's a mystery here because God gets what he wants. So if God wants everyone saved, the question is, why Why won't everyone be? And I believe it has to do with the fact that God will not coerce anyone. God created people with the ability to choose for or against Him. And we see this all the way back in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, you know. He wanted to give them the ability to say yes or no to Him so that love would be something that was offered. And, And some just won't accept His invitation. But it is God's heart to do this. Now let me talk for a minute about this invitation related to those who are invited. Because this, the second group, we got the king, and then you have the guests, or those who are being invited here. Let me talk about the, the ceremony itself and and what this would have looked like, and I want to talk even more about it next week. But in biblical times, if um, a, a guy wanted to marry a girl, usually the groom and the bride's father would get together. Sometimes it was just both fathers. But usually the groom and the bride's father would get together. They'd meet together, and they'd sign an actual contract, an agreement of marriage, And and they would seal the deal, in a sense, with a cup of wine. And I I want to touch on that next week, because it's really what what Jesus said on that last um, supper was very related to this subject here today. But the, the groom would drink it, and so would the bride. Now, when this happened, when this contract was signed, they were considered legally married. But they were not married like we think of it yet. They they were legally married on paper, but they would not get officially married for about 12 months. 12 months later, they'd they'd have a ceremony. 12 months later, they would have this, this feast or this festival. And during that time, by the way, they were not to live together. During that time, they were not to be involved sexually at all. And this is why Joseph almost divorced his wife Mary, even though they'd not come together, even though I don't think they were living in the same cities Joseph heard Mary's pregnant, and he decided to divorce her quietly because they had not come together. And, um, but why the, why the long period of time? Well, it was giving the, the groom and his father the, the time they needed to build another extension onto the family home. Now, that's what I want to talk about next week. And it would take about a year. And so the father of, of the, the groom would decide it was time. It's ready. This place is now ready for your beautiful wife. And on on that day, the, the people would be sent out. And the bride would be escorted there. They'd have this kind of a quiet ceremony just for the family. It wasn't a big deal in terms of the number of people. But then they'd have this banquet. And this banquet would allow just about everybody. Sometimes everybody in the entire town was invited. So it was this huge affair. And so this is describing that the the end of this betrothal period has come and the servants are sent out and they're saying, come, it's time, it's time. But we read they begin to make excuses, these invited guests. And so we read in verses 2 and 3 again, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent out his slaves to summon those invited to the banquet but they didn't want to come. And I can kind of relate to that. I've been invited to things before that I didn't really necessarily want to come. And, the, and, and the invita- when the invitation came, they said, I don't, I don't want to. I just don't want it. And that's what a lot of people say about Jesus, of course. Then going to verses 4 and 5, again it says, again, he sent out other slaves and said, tell those who are invited, look, I prepared my dinner, my oxen and fat and calf have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went away, one to his own farm, another to his business. Now, this is, by the way, a, a picture of the reception Jesus received by the nation of Israel after they had been sent messengers and prophets and other people to proclaim certain things, and then Jesus himself, they, 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 they were not interested, and they had excuses. They paid no attention. Here's what I want you to understand about the story. This isn't a regular invitation. I told you sometimes, you know, I'm faced with an invitation to something, and maybe, maybe I don't really want to go, but I also maybe have a good excuse. And so I'll say, "Why well, I can't come because of this excuse. And people started making these excuses why they, you know, they, why they couldn't come here and they weren't listening. Uh, but realize it's the king. This is not a suggestion. You're, the king is telling you to come. This is your king. This is your sovereign. Come. It's time. And they ignore them. They blow them off. Not interested. That's kind of a big deal. And so they ignored. And by the way, the first two groups are probably the same group. He sent messengers. They they ignored them. So he sent more messengers, and and they all went about their business. Nobody did anything. And then we read what they did to others, these guests. In verses 6 and 7, it says, The others seized the slaves, treated them outrageously, and killed them. The king was enraged, so he sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned down their city. Now, I think this passage is prophetic. I think Jesus was telling his audience, this is what's going to happen to you, and it's going to happen specifically in A.D. 70. 70. You know, the, the king said, you murdered you murdered all my, my messengers. You've mistreated them all. Well, that's what the history had been of the nation of Israel. The prophets, they were all persecuted or killed. All of them were, all of them suffered various things. And other leaders that God sent, like Moses and others, they were sent, and the people constantly rebelled against them. And they persecuted them. Well, this is saying the king is coming. And in 70 AD or 80-70, AD Of course, the Romans came into Jerusalem. They completely destroyed the temple. I mean, they completely destroyed the temple and killed everybody, and the nation of Israel ceased to exist for almost 2,000 years. Miraculously, it's back, which is part of the reason I think we're in the end times. But here's something to understand, and this is worth thinking about in terms of, of even what happened in AD 70 the Jewish nation was warned time and time again that, that if, if they didn't listen to God and if they went after other gods, that, that God would discipline them, them in various ways. He'd send pestilence. He'd send disease. He'd allow other nations to kind of attack them. But the worst thing that could happen, God said, is that you'll be, you'll, you'll be attacked and expelled from the land. And then it happened already two times in their history. The Assyrians had come in, come in to Israel and had carted off 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel killing most of them, but exiling the rest. Just about wiped out the whole country then. And then the Babylonians did the same in 586 B.C. They came in, broke through the city, destroyed the temple, destroyed everything, carted off these captives once again to Babylon. The temple represented the presence of God among Israel. Israel knew that if it got to that point, they had really blown it. They they knew. They had rejected God, so God was rejecting them, and that's what happened. So when you get to this temple in AD seventy, they should have awakened and said, "What did we do wrong here?" Where God would remove His very presence from our nation? You crucified the Son of God, the Messiah, the one who was sent into this world. And you think there won't be consequences for this? And by the way, people love to say that God is a God of love, and He is, but this story talks about a king that's filled with wrath. And God is a God of wrath as well, not just love. He's got both. Just like we are, we were created in His image. Do you get angry? Do you get almost wrathful sometimes? You know, explosive wrath? It's because you're created in the image of God. You wouldn't have wrath if God didn't have it. And the Bible talks about the wrath of God and the judgment to come. And so this was going to be coming upon them. The ones that did these things, of course, and, and that specifically I think was again the nation of Israel, the religious leaders especially of the day that crucified the Christ and then for 35 years the new church. They, they persecuted greatly. And so you had the group that didn't want to come, the ones who ignored the invitation. You had those who persecuted and killed some of the messengers. But there's one final group of these invitees and these are ones who said yes. We read in verses 8 through 10, then, this, then he told his slaves, the banquet's ready, but those who were invited were not worthy, therefore go to where the roads exit the city, which means outside of Jerusalem, and invite everyone you find to the banquet. So those slaves went out on the roads and gathered everyone they found, both evil and good. The wedding banquet was filled with guests. And again, this is the This is the heart of God, and Jesus is predicting here, of course, that the gospel is going to go out into all the world. Since since the Jewish nation, his chosen people rejected him, now it's going out into all the world. But some did indeed respond. Now, which are you in this group? Too busy? Too distracted? Too apathetic? Maybe some of you even oppose, actively oppose Christians or persecute them. Or are you one who said yes to the invitation? I I love verse ten where it says the wedding banquet was filled with guests. And so we have the king and we have the servants that were sent. There's a third group here, though, the slaves themselves. Who are they? Who are the ones that are sent out? And simply put, it's you and me if, if we're Christians, if we're believers in Christ. And it, it relates to anyone here that's sent out by the king with this invitation. And we know that Jesus, of course, after he died and rose from the dead, he, before he descend, ascended back to his Father in heaven, 40 days after the resurrection, the last thing he did was gave his disciples their marching orders. He said, go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then teach them to observe all I command. You were the ones who are sent to go. And it's a tremendous privilege the Apostle Paul described it like we're, we're actually Christ's ambassadors. You know, I think ambassadors are like important people. They represent their government or whatever, but to be the ambassador of the king of kings. Paul wrote it this way, though, in 2 Corinthians 5:20 20 and 21. He said, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, certain. We are certain that God is appealing or making an appeal through us to other people. We plead on Christ's behalf. We plead with you, be reconciled to God. Get right with God. That's our message. And then it goes on to explain it. He made, God made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so we're we're these ambassadors for Christ and we're pleading with, please, please, you know, our sin has come between us and God, but be reconciled to God. Get it right, because God sent his son who knew no sin, experienced no sin, to become sin for you, so you could become the righteousness of God. But there's one last character in this story, and it's, it's the guy that was not dressed properly. And so we read about him in verses 11 through 14. But when the king came in to view the guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed for a wedding. So he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him up hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. It seems kind of harsh. The guy's not dressed properly. <laughs> tie him up, <laughs> toss him out. I mean, it really seems like that. Like, this is really, really harsh, you know. But... Scholars believe, many scholars believe that in this parable, the king provided everybody with the right clothing because this was the group that came from way out there. They didn't have their wedding clothing. They were travelers. And so Dr. Barbieri puts it this way, the guest, this guest had failed to appropriate What the king provided for, he was not wearing the proper wedding clothes. Apparently, the king gave them all wedding clothes as they arrived, for they came off the streets. The king is angry because he made an offer to this person, and it was refused. In fact, the the Greek way of writing this makes it real clear that the guy wasn't surprised. He chose, he chose not to put on the clothes, and so he wasn't surprised when the king came up and saw that. He chose not to do it. And you say, well, what on earth is that about? Well, when we put our faith in Christ, we're clothed in Christ's righteousness. We become children of God. We become righteous in God's eyes. And it's something that God provides for us through faith in Christ. In Revelation 19, 7 and 8, we find a future real fulfillment of this parable where we read these words, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, give God glory, because the marriage of the Lamb has come. The Lamb is Christ. And his wife has prepared herself. That's believers. That's the church. Verse 8, she was given fine linen to wear bright and pure. You see, the only reason anyone can get to heaven is because you assume Christ's righteousness and he assumes your sinfulness. He took on your sinfulness, that's why he died on the cross and why it was so horrible what he went through. We take on his righteousness. That was the verse I just read. Remember 2 Corinthians 5.21? He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us. So that we might become the righteousness of God. You see the switch that took place. And so we have in the story here a guy that was offered the opportunity to put on the righteousness of Christ, if I can put it that way. And he said, no, I don't want that. I want to come on my own, which is what most people do. Most people want to get to heaven on their own terms. I think I'm good enough. What do you, what do you think you need to do to get to heaven? Oh, I think I'm good enough, good enough. You're standing behold, before a holy God. He knows everything you've done. He knows your thoughts, your words, your deeds. He knows everything. Unless we're clothed with the righteousness of Christ, we're not invited to the banquet so this guy was tied up and thrown outside where it says there's, there's a gnashing of teeth and weeping going on. Th- that exact expression appears elsewhere in the Gospels, always describing hell. It's hell because he, he didn't come on, to Christ. And so the invitation went out, but he didn't receive it is what it's a picture of, and for all of us as well. The invitation goes out. Now, what will you do with this invitation? That's you know, my question here today. What will you do with the invitation This talk's primarily aimed at those of you that don't know for sure if you put your trust in Christ. God sent His Son to be your Savior, to deliver you, because we all blow it and we can't fix it, can't clean it up, even if today you decided, I'll stop sinning. Good luck with that. We're sinners. We're hopeless. We cannot save ourselves, God sent His Son, and what a cost. Send Send the Son of God to die in such a horrible way to take upon Himself your sin. But John wrote in John chapter 1, as many as receive him, Jesus, to those who believe in his name, God gives the privilege to become his children. Because when Jesus rose from the dead, it showed the payment had been accepted by God the Father. Jesus paid the price in full. Of course, the justice of God required that. The justice of God means all sin has to be punished. Jesus volunteered, I'll take it all. And he died. But when he rose again, it proved God accepted the payment, and our response is just to say yes to Jesus, to put our trust in him. So will you in- ignore this? Will you say, put it off? What will you do? Will you put your trust in the risen Lord Jesus Christ and receive him as your savior? John 3, by the way, lays this out in verses 16 through 18. Jesus was talking with a religious leader, and he said this, for God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish. Everyone who believes, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world that he might condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. That's why Jesus came. Anyone, and here's the point, anyone who believes in him is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe, anyone who does not, who will not put their trust in Christ, is condemned already because he's not believed in God's solution, the one and only Son of God. Now, in a moment, I'd like to close the entire service with a prayer of invitation. If you, if you say, I, I believe what you're saying here today, and I want to receive Christ, you know, it's, I'd like to offer a prayer. The prayer isn't what, by the way, makes the difference. It's faith. Remember, whoever believes in him. But I want to offer a prayer where you can acknowledge to God your heart's desire to put your trust in Jesus. Before we do that, though, I want to give an application for those of you that are already, you know where you stand with God and you're a Christian. I think we're called upon to tell others about Christ. And that's not always easy to do, but there are lots of easy ways to do it. For example, you can invite people to something maybe we're doing or a place where the gospel is going to be shared, or, or you could share even this talk with some of your friends and say, Would you just listen to this, please listen to this. And you're going to be part of their story of finding Christ or you can share the gospel directly with them. It's a real simple message. The problem is sin. That's what we're trying to solve. Solution is Jesus because of who He was and is, the Son of God, and what He did. Died in our place for our sin and rose again. Response God's looking for is faith. Problem is sin, solution is Jesus, the response is faith. And we're gonna sing a song for you called Run to the Father. It's really a song of invitation. Say, come to the Father. His arms are open wide. I love that. Even Jesus said, come to me all who are weak and heavy laden. Come to me, he said. And so it's an invitation. And so for some of you, it's an invitation to receive Christ. But then it talks about coming to the Father over and over and over again because when we put our faith in Christ, we begin this relationship. It's a lifelong relationship. And then we find ourselves continually running to our Father for all kinds of things. I'd like to offer just a prayer. If you would like to put your trust in Christ, let's bow our heads. And um, it's, it's not the words. It's the heart that says yes to Jesus. But something like this, dear God, I know I've sinned. And I can't fix it. And I need a savior, a deliverer. And I do believe you sent your son, Jesus, to die on the cross in my place and for all my sin and that he rose again from the dead, illustrating that you received the payment he made on my behalf. And therefore I reach out to Jesus. I accept him, receive him as my savior. Today I claim the promise in John 3, where you said whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So I come to you in Jesus' name and because of what he did for me. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church.com.